Amen. Well, most of us don't like waiting. It can be really frustrating uh, waiting in line, waiting in traffic, waiting on technology. I had to just get a new laptop a few months ago because the one that I had had an older processor in it and the RAM wasn't quite what it ought to be. And I was having to wait like a whole 30 seconds for a program to open and get going. It's just so frustrating. So, you know, we, so we do, we wait on technology. We get so impatient with things. We wait for things to get better. We wait for something to be over with. We wait for something we want or we wait to get somewhere we need to be. But even though we don't like to wait, waiting really is a necessary part of life. And the truth is that I want to address today is that most of us have a weight problem. Boom. <laughs> um, but seriously, we have a problem waiting, don't we? And sometimes we wonder, uh, especially when it comes with God. In fact, in the Bible, uh, great people of faith like Abraham, Moses, many of the Old Testament prophets, they had a problem waiting on God and struggling with the issue. David writes particularly in many of his psalms, but in Psalm 13, he says this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So this is nothing new to the human condition. And what I would like to address today is just to give some answers to the question, why does God make us wait? And so I'd like to just get right into it and give you three of those reasons that God makes us wait. Number one, we are not ready. You are not ready for something that you're waiting on, um, or we collectively are not ready. We're not there yet. Number two, other people that God is using in the process with whatever you're involved in, they are not ready yet. And then the third reason is that circumstances are not ready yet. Because during this period of waiting, God is using it as a development phase in your life. This is so common. So this is very cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. It was true not only back when the scriptures were written. And in fact, from the very beginning of creation, God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And so there's process of growth and principles of growth. When a seed is planted in the ground, it has to have time to germinate. It has to be exposed to the materials in the soil moisture getting into it. So again, it opens up, it germinates, then it begins to sprout. There's a process of development where that plant needs to grow and then eventually it will bloom and it will bear fruit or beauty or whatever its design is. But the point is, the plant needs time to develop and grow. There has to be a waiting period. Then there's other processes involved in circumstances. And so it is in our life. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, the whole Ecclesiastes chapter 3 deals with the various times and things in our life, but it starts out just with this simple phrase, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So we need to understand, first of all, with these three reasons why God makes us wait, that there is a purpose, though, in the waiting. And there is a process, but there will be a product or something that is produced out of this entire process and this waiting period. 
So let's think about that for a minute. Waiting is actually a time of preparation. So let me give you an example. Most of us have maybe encountered this in one way or another, but seems to me more times than I'd like to think about. Whether we're traveling on a vacation and we want to get somewhere and we're stopping off to get something to eat and we don't want to just go through the drive-thru because everybody's with us and you, know, you need to use the restroom, all those kind of fun things. Anyway, you, so we, we go inside the fast food restaurant and inevitably there's been times when right as we get ready to pull in, here comes a bus or a tour group or something. Have you ever, anybody been in that situation? And so you got all these people in front of you now waiting to order. A lot of times if we see that, we'll just go somewhere else. But there's times you're in a situation, there's a bunch of people in front of you in line and you're just standing there. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've been in a line like that where you're literally waiting for like five minutes. And so there's people all in front of you. And lo and behold, the person that's right in front of you that's waiting just as long as you are, they're trying to pass the time. And so they're on their phone. And they're texting, or they're looking at pictures, or they're reading. And so slowly over the minutes, you know, finally it gets time to where it's time for them to get up to the counter and order. And then they put their phone down and they're like, uh, let's see. I think, I, do you have that? I went, what do you want? Oh, you know, you don't. And, and it's like you're hitting there going, come on. What have you been doing this whole time in line? And again, we think, what are people thinking? Why would they not use this waiting time so they're prepared and ready to go? They've looked at the menu. They've had their discussion. So when they get up there, it's time to order. They do it and they get on. Well, it's easy to look at other people and criticize them, right? But we do the same thing with God. In the waiting period, we find things to distract us. We find things to make it a little easier for us to wait, that we don't have to really think about what's coming and what we need to deal with and how we need to be preparing. And instead of spending time preparing for that moment, whenever the end of the wait will come, we just get distracted. And then in that moment, when God says it's time to move or to act, we're still trying to make up our mind. And so we need to learn from that lesson. And guess what's going to happen? If God has used that waiting time to get you ready to prepare you for the moment that he wants you to move or act, and you haven't prepared for it, and it comes, what happens? Sometimes the moment passes, and then God says, okay, get to the back of the line again, (laughs) because I've got a purpose in this, and i got something I want you to learn in this waiting period. Get ready. Get ready for the next time. So God is preparing you and I for what he wants to do next. At whatever stage or season of life you're in, there's always that next thing. So a question for us to consider and for you to consider is, what are you doing with the time while you wait? Actually, in a couple of weeks on Mother's Day, I'm going to be doing a follow-up message on this topic. It's not a two-parter. This message today will stand on its own, but I'm going to do a follow-up message, and I'm giving you a heads-up now because on Mother's Day, I know it's a very difficult time for many people. Uh, Many times there are ladies I know or even men I know that have a hard time coming to church on Mother's Day because of whatever pain is associated with their memory of a mother or situation that they've been through or whatever. And so just understand that. And, and so the message on Mother's Day will absolutely deal with mothers, but it's going to deal with men, women, everybody, no matter what stage in life. So I hope that you can overcome whatever negative feelings you might have about Mother's Day 
and be able to attend because I believe God has a message for all of us on that day as well. But number one, we need to understand that God is working in your life and my life. We're not ready yet, but God is also working in the lives of other people who he's going to involve in your life to actually help you with something that you're waiting on. I know in our life as parents, when we've prayed for our kids who are now adults and all of that, but when they've been away from us and out from under our contact and care and all of that 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 we want to do, we not only pray for them, but we pray specifically for God to place people around them and in their path, to cross their path that will interact with them and be instruments that he's going to use to work in their life. And so during this period of waiting, God's not only working on us, but he's working on other people that he wants to use in the process. And I'm here with a smile on my face to tell you I've seen God answer prayers like that. Uh, I can give testimony to it, how God has honored those kind of prayers. And so as he's worked in our kids' lives, he's been working in the lives of other people, and, and then also working in the circumstances to weave it all together to where their paths cross at just the right time and the right situation, and he does his work. But there's a waiting period. We don't always get it right when we want it. God is using this time to also, as I said, prepare circumstances. We see an example of this in the many examples of this in the Bible, but one I want to mention today is actually found in the book of Esther. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I just want to give you some highlights. I encourage you to read that book for yourself in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. But this was at a time in the history of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people uh, that they had been displaced and they were in a different culture, many of them. And there was one Jewish woman named Esther who had an opportunity through various circumstances to arise to a point where she was the queen of this country. And in this culture and in this country, there was a man named Haman who hated Jewish people. He just, he got stuck in his craw, something about uh, them. And uh, he was a pretty arrogant guy, and he didn't feel like they were showing him the proper respect. And so he had it in for them, and because he had a position of authority and power, he swayed the king to basically make an edict that all the Jewish people would be put to death. Now, we still face those kind of issues today in political circles. I mean, if you've watched the news here in America, there are political powers at work that are constantly back and forth vying for power and position And based on uh, certain perspectives, um, they will try to infiltrate and cause things to happen for there to to be this opposition and to demonize uh, a a certain party or situation or whatever. And I'm not trying to get political on you, but when you preach the Bible and when you preach relevance, it's going to deal with things in our politics. Can I just get an amen with that, okay? You know, because I'm going to be real transparent with you. Some people, they're like, well, I don't go to Porterfield because it's too political. And I'm just like, really? Really? When have you ever heard me say, vote for this party, vote for this person? I preach the Bible. And if it applies and if it convicts your heart, then so be it. And I'm trying to not, I'm trying to be really fair and not pick on any one political party because human nature is human nature and we all can be guilty of it. Can I get an Amen. So now that we just laid that totally out, and some of you have made up your mind, oh, he ruined it for me. I'm not going back there anymore. He got political. Let's move on. And the other thing is make sure that you understand what I'm saying, because some of you probably have no idea which side of the fence I'm on. 
But again, if you look at what the Bible says and what our culture is doing, there's some pretty evident places where you need to stand and where you need to vote and what you need to be a part of. And again, now I'm talking Bible, folks, not politics. And if that offends you, then maybe God's speaking to your heart. Oh, I didn't even plan to go there today, Lord, so I don't know who that was for or what that was all about, but I'm going to trust you to use it. And I guess I'm going to have to wait till I find the outcome. <laughs> the point is this. Haman had it in and wanted to see the Jewish people wiped out of that culture. I will say this, and this where it back to the actual application of this. We see it in our culture today, do we not? There is absolutely a bias against Christians in our country above every other religion. We are being persecuted. I just mentioned the bombings on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, not in our country. But I've said this before. I will say it again because it is the truth. Right now in our world's history, there are more people being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ than at any other time in this nation's or in this world's history. More so than back when you read about the early Christians uh, being persecuted by the nation of Rome and all those emperors that were putting people in the Colosseum and and having sport of them and, and putting them to death. There are so many more deaths today because of people's faith in Christ. So I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank you for taking the risk and having the courage to actually come in a public place and gather to learn about Jesus and hopefully to open your heart to Jesus and to serve him. So thank you for doing that. That's what Christ has called us to do, to not be ashamed. Because he is worth dying for, yes, but he's absolutely worth living for. And that's what this is all about. So anyway, God had worked through the circumstances, and so Esther had raised to power, and she was a Jewish woman, and the king didn't even realize it. So he's issuing this edict to have the Jewish people put to death, and, and yet here his own queen was a Jewish person. But that part of her background had been hidden from him. And Mordecai was a Jewish man who was related to Esther, And so Mordecai, of course, had been waiting and praying for God to protect them. But God had been working in Esther's life to raise her to this position. God had been working through the situations. And God had been working through Mordecai and other things, weaving all of these things together. These three things, God's preparing you like he was preparing Esther. He was preparing others like he was Mordecai and the other Jewish people. And even working through Haman and his hatred for the Jewish people. And he was weaving all those circumstances together to come to this moment where Mordecai is talking to Esther and he says, you need to step up right now and talk to the king on our behalf. And in Esther 4.14, he says this, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You see, there had been a waiting going on, but God was working through all those circumstances to bring it to a time, and Esther needed to use that time to prepare and be ready, and she was ready. I encourage you to read that story if you're not familiar with it. God is also using, again, this waiting period to coordinate circumstances. Joseph is an example in the Old Testament, a prime case of sibling rivalry to the worst degree. Uh, Joseph's brothers got jealous of him. They wanted to kill him. They were so jealous of him. And yet they kind of decided, well, maybe that's not the best course of action. So they sold him into slavery. Great, great brothers, right? 
So he was sold into slavery, and I'm sure he was like, God, what is going on? Because you gave me a dream, and, and I believe that you have something special for me. And, and now my brothers have turned against me, and I'm sold into slavery. So he ends up in, a, in an Egyptian uh, man of authority's house named uh, Potiphar. And so things were going well there, and he's being encouraged. He's like, yes, God, I'm being faithful to you. I'm cooperating with your spirit while you're working in this waiting period. And then Potiphar's wife puts the moves on him and wants to have an affair with him and he's trying to do the right thing and he says, no, God, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to sin against Potiphar and his household. She gets jealous, gets mad and accusing, accuses him of attempted rape. Potiphar throws him in jail. Now he's in prison for a long time and as he's there, he's waiting on God and he doesn't understand but he's still cooperating and this is the thing I want you to, to understand right now. In this waiting period in your life, whatever you're waiting for, you need to learn to cooperate with God's spirit, be obedient and trust that he is coordinating things that you cannot even see right now but he is gonna work it for a positive outcome if you'll keep being faithful and cooperate with him. That's what Joseph did. He interpreted some dreams for a couple of prisoners. Those dreams came true. One of the prisoners, Joseph said, hey, please remember me before the king. Help me get out of here. The guy said he would. And then he turns around and forgets Joseph. So over and over again, the Bible has stories of people who had to wait. But in their waiting, God was coordinating and he wanted them to cooperate and because Joseph did that, ultimately, Joseph was raised to power. He was brought out of prison. He was given a position of authority because he had been using all of those years of waiting to trust God, to pray, to seek his face. He was growing in wisdom. He had learned to handle situations in every different difficult circumstance of life. So when he faced a huge difficult circumstance of a famine that was going to be multi-years over the whole land, he knew what to do because he had been dealing with adversity his whole life and God had given him special insight. Some of you right now maybe feel like your whole life you've been dealing with adversity and difficulty. I just want you to understand that God's not gonna waste that. If you will do the work of cooperating and trusting and paying attention and learning, God's gonna use you in some amazing ways to help other people that are going through difficult times. So don't give up on God. In fact, Psalm 105, 19, talking about Joseph and this whole situation, it says the word of the Lord tested him. Now, look, God already knows your heart, so he doesn't have to test you so he figures out where you're at. The Lord tests us to help us know where we're at. That's the purpose of testing. Because as we go through things, we begin to learn things about ourselves that we maybe didn't really understand. Joseph learned this over his life. And in fact, when ultimately his brothers were brought to him and all of his dreams came true and came to fulfillment, Joseph spoke this to his brothers. He could have been angry. He could have been resentful, but he saw God's hand in it. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph's words to his brothers are recorded here. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. 
You see, Joseph had understood that waiting was a process and God was working on him. He wasn't quite ready yet, wasn't developed fully enough to to see that dream fulfilled until that moment in time. And God had been working through others that he was going to use in the process. And he was working on the circumstances. So now let's move forward into New Testament times because this principle is a timeless principle. That's no pun intended there, talking about wait and time. But the principle of waiting on God wasn't just for Old Testament times, it's absolutely in the New Testament times and for us as followers of Christ. And since we're just on this side of celebrating the resurrection of Christ once again this year, though we celebrate it every day, I want us to think about that. After the resurrection of Jesus, many of his disciples, they were amazed, first of all, that they couldn't hardly comprehend it, that he actually had come back to life after they saw what all he had been through and seen his death. They were also scared. Because again, in that culture, there was definitely animosity toward followers of Christ. I mean, after all, Christ himself had been put to death. So as his followers, they were very scared and they were intimidated. But they were also excited because they had seen Christ and they knew this was true now, though they couldn't fully understand it. And they were also somewhat disorganized. So they needed to go through a period of waiting before Christ was ready to do his next work in them. They needed to be comforted. They needed to be reassured by Christ. And they needed to be prepared for the next thing that he was going to use them to do. And that's why Jesus spent time with them for a period of 40 days before he ascended back up into heaven. You know, Jesus could have walked out of that tomb appeared to a few of them and said, hey, I'm alive. Good news. Okay, I'll see y'all later. Just, you know, figure it out. I'm going up to heaven. But he didn't. For 40 days, he appeared to them off and on at different places, geographical locations, different settings. He ate with them at times to show he wasn't just a ghost, that he actually physically was resurrected. And he taught them over those 40 days. And then he brought it to a culmination. And Luke records it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke was a physician, but he was also a historian. And so Luke wrote the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. And he writes also the book of Acts or the letter of Acts, the account of Acts. So when we look at it in Acts 1, we see that Luke, the historian, is writing for a a man named Theophilus or a person named Theophilus. We get the pleasure of getting to read his historical account that's been recorded in the Holy Scriptures for us. In my former book, Theophilus, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The former book that he's talking about is the Gospel of Luke that we have in the New Testament. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait, wait for the gift of my father that was promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Why would Jesus ask his followers to wait? Because they were not ready yet for the next step that he was going to do in their lives. And God was also preparing other people that he was going to use in this process. And he was preparing the circumstances. Now, here's the thing. The Jewish feast that had been around for centuries, God has a purpose from the beginning to the end in these things. Jesus was crucified on the Jewish feast of Passover, and 50 days later in the Jewish calendar, there came this annual holiday, huge holiday feast called the Feast of Pentecost. And so Jesus ascends back up into heaven after 40 days after Passover, so about 10 days or so before the Feast of Pentecost. And the reason Jesus wanted them to wait is because God's timing wasn't quite there yet, because God understood that on the day of Pentecost, that Feast of Pentecost, Jewish people that had been dispersed to all the surrounding countries would be coming back to their homeland for this festival. People from every different culture and language would be in Jerusalem. And this is why Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise that I told you about his Holy Spirit. So it goes on and it says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were like us while they're waiting. They're saying, well, is this, is this it? Is this when you're getting ready to come down and set up your kingdom? And Jesus in effect says that, just, just wait. Be faithful, take it a step at a time. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. You're going to have to wait, in other words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he was even telling them the purpose in their waiting. So now we fast forward. They returned to Jerusalem, the scripture says there in Acts chapter 1. And while they were waiting in hiding in that upper room, because again, they were excited, but they were scared and they were wanting to have discernment of when is the timing that we're supposed to start talking about all this. They prayed and they also decided to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot while they were waiting. You see, they were doing something while they were waiting. They didn't sit around and say, what do we do? And they didn't twiddle their thumbs or whatever. They were trying to cooperate with God and what he had commanded them to do. And so they chose a man, Matthias, and there was some stipulations for this man because it had to be somebody that had been with them as a group of followers from the time that John the Baptist started preaching and baptizing. And he had to be somebody that had been with them when Christ came on the scene and Christ was baptized and identified with John's message and what he was going to do and had to be there seeing Jesus' miracles. He had to be someone who had seen Jesus die on the cross and then also see Christ resurrected from the dead. So this is something God just revealed to me even this morning as I was speaking on this that I hadn't thought about. But maybe some of you are being faithful to God and it seems like God's raising everybody else up and you're still kind of in the wings and you're like, well, God, why, you know, I'd like to be used of you and I'm trying to follow you, but why are you using all these other people and you haven't used me with that yet? Well, he's got a purpose in it. He's got you in the wings just like he had Matthias. And when the time come, because Matthias had been prepared and been cooperating, when the moment came and they chose Matthias, he was ready. And he became one of that inner circle. So trust God with his purposes in your life. Well, it moves on and in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm not going to read this whole thing here, but I just want to give you so you can see the timing, how God brought it all together. When the day of Pentecost came, that annual feast, they were all together in one place... 
because they had been prepared and ready and waiting. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were, where they were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this speaking in tongues, this gift that they received in this moment was not an unknown tongue. It wasn't just a heavenly language that nobody else could understand. It literally was other human languages that were being spoken at the time. So it would be like if you were in a setting today, an international cultural setting, and all of a sudden, all of us in this room, some of you could speak Italian, some of you could speak Portuguese, some of you could speak German, just, and, and you all begin to talk in that particular language because it's a gift that God has given you. This is what was happening to this group of believers who had been waiting on Christ and his spirit. They didn't understand exactly what was going to happen, but because they had been praying and waiting and ready, God used them. Now, listen to this and and take note of it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, here's the key about God's timing in this process. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. God had been working through those circumstances to bring it together. When they, all these people, heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard the speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism." Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongue. See how God was working it all together for that perfect timing. So here's the thing. Be encouraged while you're waiting. If it seems like God isn't doing anything, just understand that when God is silent in your life, he's not still. He is working. He's working in ways that you cannot see, and he's preparing everything. He's preparing you. He's preparing others. He's developing things, and he's bringing the circumstances together so that when the time comes, the thing that you've been waiting on can be accomplished and can be fulfilled. Now, here's a thought. Oftentimes, we think we are waiting on God. But did you ever think of it this way? Perhaps God is waiting on you. He's waiting on you to get with the program. He's waiting on you to trust him as Savior. He's waiting on you to grow in your faith. He's waiting on you to take the steps of discipleship and to be prepared. He is waiting on you, and because he loves you and he's patient with you. In fact, the Scripture says God is patient with all of us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I've talked to many Christians over the years, and they're like, I just don't understand why the Lord hadn't come back yet. I don't understand why he just puts up with all this stuff. Well, the Bible gives us the answer, because he's waiting. (laughs) He's waiting on you. He's waiting on a family member. He's waiting on somebody you love. He's waiting on people you don't even know, because he wants them to come to know him. What are you doing about it? What are you doing to share your faith? What are you doing to, to prepare the way? What are you doing to show the love of Christ to people? Because he wants to use this waiting time to prepare you, prepare them, 
and prepare the circumstances. Waiting involves a purpose, a process, a preparation, and a product. But there is a, this completion that God wants to bring it to. In fact, that's why the scripture says in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The Greek word for wait is this. It's perimeno. And it means what you might think it means. It means to abide. It means to dwell. It means to continue. It means to endure. It means to be present. So think of all of that in your faith in God while we wait. He doesn't want you to abandon your faith. He wants you to be present. He wants you to endure. He wants you to dwell in his word. But here's the really cool thing about the other connotations and nuances of the word wait. It means to be held. It means to be continually kept. So while you're waiting on God, he's waiting on you. He's holding you. He's keeping you. He's saying, I haven't forgotten about you. So there's a purpose in this waiting. And there's one more thing about waiting. Waiting is a test. But again, it's not a test, again, that God needs to know your heart. You need to know your heart. And sometimes in the process of waiting, we learn that the very thing that we thought was so urgent or important that we had to have, we learn when we don't get it and we wait, that over time we realize, you know what? I didn't really need that as much as I thought I did. We get into all kind of problems in our culture and with our sin nature because we act on impulse and we act on urge. I want it and I want it now. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you have gotten something that you wanted and got it right now and got satisfied in the moment and then later you thought, what was I thinking? Wow, how in the world, why, why did I do that? Well, you see, sometimes God in his love and his wisdom, he says, put the brakes on. Whoa. There's many people who have encountered unwanted pregnancies, unnecessary debt, all kinds of problems that we bring on ourselves because we haven't learned to trust God enough to wait and obey him and trust his perfect timing. But nope, we want it our way and we want it now because you know that's what I saw on Twitter and that's what I read about with all my friends on Facebook and that's what I see in movies and that's what I see on TV and isn't that what we're all supposed to be about? God says, you better think about it, better wait, because there's a process, there's a purpose, and there's a product that I want to bring that's so much better than what the world offers you. Would you stand with me? And I'd like to ask our servers to go ahead and come to the table now. When we think about waiting on God and him waiting on us, and again, the way that he holds us and keeps us, even when we're struggling, we have a lot of assurance in the scriptures. Philippians 1, 6 says, He, talking about God, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So even now, here today, as we come to this table and we think about what Christ did for us so long ago, it's still relevant in our lives today, absolutely. But there's a future fulfillment of all this. But right now we have to wait. So while we wait, let's realize why God has us wait and let's cooperate with what his spirit is speaking to us. 
The Bible says in Hebrews, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. This is what we're thinking about as we come to the table. But now here's the part for the future that we look to and we wait on. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation.